seeing you again. Welcome to another episode of Product Pioneers. Please take a seat, grab your hot chocolate, and let me tell you about today's episode. So, being in a product management role demands a lot from you as a PM. It requires you to wear many hats and deal with many stakeholders. Your role also changes depending on the industry you're in and changes as you grow within the organization you're part of. So on today's episode, we focus particularly on fintech as an industry. We opened a discussion on how to prepare ourselves to get into fintech as non-technical PMs, how to work with different departments that share similar roles or tasks, the importance of emotional intelligence, and many more. My guest today has a massive experience from both the business and technical development areas. This is why she's the perfect guest to talk about this topic. Gietza Maguti is the head of product at Penta, the digital platform for business banking aimed at SMEs and startups. To tell you more about what Penta does, their vision is to build a platform of connected services around the bank account, which would allow business owners to use one platform for all of their financial needs. It is designed to let business owners save time and money on banking so that they can focus on their core business. So, I cannot wait for you to meet Chietza. Let's go. So, Chietza, I'm so, so excited to meet you and finally talk to you again. So, how was uh, your background going into product management? Tell me all about it. Well, first of all, thank you for having me. I guess maybe we should say how we found each other. <laughs> I was, I was very, um, I was really inspired. I think you posted something um, about a podcast you'd done, podcast episode, sorry, and um, I listened to it immediately, and I was like, wow, just seeing young women out there uh, in in this sort of thing was really really inspiring, and uh, that's how we connected. So thank you, LinkedIn. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Good. Thanks, LinkedIn. Uh, how did I get into product? Uh, it's actually probably the most traditional route that I would say. So I started out as a business analyst. So uh, really working super closely with engineers, uh, with quality assurance engineers, with operations. To, um, you know, back in the day it was waterfall. So you got all the requirements up front. So you knew exactly what you needed to, to build. Uh, and then we would elaborate uh, off of that. So I would say that the first few years of my career were really deep in, in quite a lot of detail, which gave me an excellent, excellent grounding. Um, how did I get into product? I think I sleepwalked into it. I don't, it wasn't intentional. It really wasn't planned. Uh, but what started happening is because I was now gaining experience, I was now starting to have more conversations with, um, I was working at a payments processing company and it's run by a scheme. So I started attending the scheme meetings, um, taking part in preparing all of the content for those meetings. So I think being a business analyst at the time, I was sort of the end recipient of the information or decisions that had been made. And I, and I sometimes was like, but why would you end up deciding that? Like, how did this conversation go? How does this actually make sense? But I was looking at it very much from a product and project delivery perspective. And I didn't really have enough of the commercial side of things. Uh, and then the more I attended those sessions, the more context I could bring back into the team to say, this may sound not like a good idea, but commercially, this is why we need to do it from a strategic perspective. So that's how I ended up finding myself in, in product management. So it was a sort of, yeah, sleepwalked slash direct route <laughs> <laughs> into it. But you know, this is amazing because almost all of our guests so far have been saying that they have 
fell into product management by accident, yeah. you know? And I think, yeah, definitely there in product management, there's tons of like part of your role. It, it has a lot of it so from different other roles. And then it just combined all of that in one. Yes, so absolutely. we definitely used to do something from before. But my question for you is the difference between project management and product management, because <laughs> it's like literally the, the most question that is so difficult to answer yet so simple. So in your, in your own experience, uh, what, what's the difference, the main differences between project and product management? Uh, I think with project management, you're really looking at managing timelines and budgets. That's the main focus of what you're supposed to be doing. The product manager is really there to talk about what is going to be delivered and why it's going to be delivered. Um, they're definitely part of the conversation of when, because it's about priorities, what makes sense for something to come first. This is obviously after negotiations and discussions with the team, because, you know, it might be that you want to do something from a product perspective, ABC, but technically actually you'd need to implement C first and then AB. Uh, and the real onus is on the product manager to be able to sell the story back to the stakeholders as to why it's happening in that way. Whereas the project manager really focuses sort of on, on planning and timelines and budgets and budgets more from a resource planning uh, perspective. So the lines are a little bit blurred, right? Uh, from a, when you're talking about agile, I think the lines are a little bit blurred because now we've had this birth of the agile coach from the scrum master. Uh, and I think it's it's much more of a collaborative effort, right? I think that the product manager still definitely inputs into the timelines, but they don't really have a lot to do with sort of resource planning and budgets in the sort of in the companies that I've worked in anyway. Yeah, yeah. Do you think they can uh, coexist? In, oh, in absolutely. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. I think it, I think coexisting actually would take a lot of pressure off product managers because what tends to happen quite a lot in companies is if you don't have someone who's actually doing the planning from that sort of perspective of timelines, the product manager then gets drawn into doing that, which can take away from what they should be doing around elaboration and discovery and just having the space to really conceptualize things and visualize things. They're now thinking about planning. So they can definitely coexist. And I think there are a lot of benefits uh, to yeah. that. Okay, then I cannot wait to experience working with a project manager. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Most of the time they would think like, I remember I had a couple of experiences uh, with people who are in the scene right now. They're in the tech scene and they still cannot call you a product manager. They keep calling you a project manager. So I think that yeah. would educate people better if we had both roles in one entity. Yeah. And then yeah. we, they see the differences like in, uh, in practice. Yeah, yeah, so, absolutely. Um, when it comes to the financial sector, you know how intimidating that is, you know, for, <laughs> for anybody. It's so... I don't even know why. I don't know why. <laughs> you know, maybe because it has to do with numbers, I think. I, I think uh, it's just a human nature, like, you know, it's like part of our DNA to be intimidated by, like, you know, naturally by numbers, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, sorry, I didn't ask the question, but I, you know, I don't know. I find it very, very interesting that people have this feeling or this intim being so intimidated about financial services and, and sort of fintech. Uh, it's quite interesting because I, I interview people and a lot of people who don't have a fintech background, they almost come in apologetic about it. And, you know, I say to them, but I would love to work in retail or I would love to work in logistics and get that experience. Uh, and people tend to really feel like it's like they have to really present themselves in a way like I'm worthy. 
And I'm just like, it's just another field. Don't like over-engineer it. Don't make it bigger than it really is. Yes, there's a lot to learn and understand, but it would be the same, right? If I was to go to somewhere where they do uh, retail, I would have a, a steep learning curve. So I think it's trying to, I would love to sort of remove this aura that fintech has built around itself that you, you can't penetrate it, you can't get in if you don't have the experience. So, And you know what the funny thing is? We interact with money and finances every single day of our lives. True. It's something that you can touch you every single day. So you do know something, right? You, you know you can make payments from your bank account. You know how your card works. So this, everybody has some base knowledge. Yeah, you know, that's so inspiring that you said that because it's so true. Uh, most of us are intimidated because maybe of how finance people like back in the days portrayed yeah. themselves as like yeah. the gurus, you know, they, they opened up this box that no one knows about. <laughs> and, yeah. yeah. And they're like, we will, we know the tricks. Uh, you just have to give us the money and then we will. Yeah. But now things are changing and you're absolutely, absolutely. Right. whatever uh, industry that you're part of and you want to go into another industry as a newbie it will still be the same experience you you have like a a learning curve there and uh, yeah but you know with with finance it's so strange actually to really get to the bottom of why does it actually make us feel like you said apologetic i completely relate to this by the way just applying for a fintech company makes my heart race as i'm speaking about it right now so what is your advice for someone who would go into the financial services or like any highly regulated industry Uh, I think one thing that I would recommend is if you know someone who's already in the industry to contact them and just kind of have a chat with them about what's it like, what are the things that you deal with every single day. Um, Obviously, do some research, some background research yourself. Uh, I think it also depends on sort of what part of finance you're going into, right? So my background is, is a little bit, I've done a bit of a tour. So I've done payment processing, um, credit ratings, uh, foreign exchange, and now uh, digital digital banking. So, and even me with all of that background uh, going into digital banking, I still have a lot to learn. So, you know, even with all of those years of experience with what I had before, I'm still learning and I'm still learning every single day. And I think this is something that everybody just needs to understand is you'll never get to the place where you'll know everything and just to always stay humble, stay open and learn, you know, there's always something to learn from someone. So, but I mean, I would definitely say, you know, even if it's, uh, and now I think it's amazing, right? You've got resources like LinkedIn, you have medium, you can read blogs, you can go to meetups nowadays with, you know, the situation at the moment, you can just attend online meetups of, of loads of FinTech companies that are doing some really interesting stuff which really kind of opens up the hood and lets you see what's actually going on inside. So I would say, you know, really immerse yourself in it. And, but don't, as I said before, don't overthink it. Don't really don't overthink it because people overthink these things. And I'm like, don't worry about it. Just get into it and just give it a go. (laughs) Confidence is everything, right? You know, you can kind of go into an interview and you know, don't start on the back foot. So don't start on the, I'm so sorry, I don't know about fintech or I'm so sorry, I've never been in this. No, you know, you're there. They called you for a reason. So, you know, be there, be present and just be confident. You know, everyone has to learn at some point. Preach, yes. (laughs) (laughs) Someone said it. (laughs) So, I mean, but you know, the thing is um, what I keep encountering with Mm -hmm. uh, companies or um, employers is that they always say, 
You don't have to have a, a technical background. It's actually refreshing to get people from different industries coming into the fin- to fintech or insurtech or whatnot. But then when it comes to hiring, it's, that is completely uh, out of the window. <laughs> the, yeah. So what are the things that maybe like for product management noobs to go into fintech other than um, immersing ourselves, like you said, I've also attended one of Penta's meetups and it was actually super fun to even with you, you know? Yeah, yeah. I wanted, like, for example, I want to go into, um, yeah, like a financial services company. What should I uh, learn as a product manager to prepare myself for the role? Yeah, so... Again, this is not school. It's not an exam. So it's not like you have a syllabus where you have, you know, for example, you know, when I did my O-levels, you know, we had history and we had certain things that you needed to study and master. Then you could go and write the exam because you had all the information. You're never going to have that. The thing that I would actually emphasize is if you are going for a particular company, really read about it, you know, understand what the company does, understand the market, understand who they're serving, why they're serving it, um, where do they see the opportunity, how are things going for them, and then look at their competitors as well and understand So then you get a little bit more insight into what they're actually doing. I can't really say to you like, oh, go and read like this regulation and go and study this particular thing. Because, you know, for example, with me, you know, I'm at Penta now. And, you know, how could I have prepared myself? Yes, I really read about Penta, really understood the the market that they're serving. Um, And then I had to actually, and I'm still learning a lot about business banking because it's actually quite complicated running a business and and all of the financial implications around taxes, around accountants, especially in Germany, uh, and really getting into that. So I'm also learning because I don't have a very strong accounting background. Um, but my boss, who's the CPO, Lucas, he's got a very strong understanding of the end-to-end. So, you know, I've also learned a hell of a lot on the job. And that, for most people, I think that would be very, very true. So, you know, I'm not going to make something up and say, oh, go and read this, go and read that when you want to go for, for a particular role. But yeah, I would say, look at the industry. You can also read, I mean, there's so much information on the internet nowadays. You can read a lot about the industry um, there's even documentaries on Netflix if you're that interested <laughs> to understand stuff. So, yeah. And as I said, I think there's nothing that replaces human connection or human conversation. So finding someone who's already in a similar industry is is also a really, really good way to, to get more um, insights. I wanted to ask you because you're also like, uh, not only are you a badass financial services PM, <laughs> but at the same time, you're a woman. How difficult it is or how common is it for you in your experience to see women in this industry? And was it easy for you to get to like, you know, penetrate this in, uh, industry or do you think uh, there's hope for us <laughs> all women out there? One, there's hope. There's major hope. That is a fact. That's the first thing. And that's the most important fact is there's major hope. Uh, I think one thing that I would say is that it probably took me a while to, and I always express it this way, to find my voice. Because I think sometimes, and I'm not saying this for all women, but you know, for many women that I know, you, you almost want approval for everything that you do or you say. So you, you kind of want to always say the right thing. You always want to you know, make sure that you're you know, presenting yourself in a certain way that you will be palatable to, to whoever your audience is or whoever you're talking to. And I think that can also hold you back because if you're constantly seeking that validation, that outer validation from other people, you're always going to have like a break in within yourself. As in when I say break as in a stop. So you want to say something, but then you think, oh, if I say this, 
what if people think X, which holds us back. So quite a while to find my voice because I can tell you now, I sat in so many meetings early in my career listening to people and I was just thinking, that didn't even make any sense. (laughs) Why don't we just do it like this? But my inner voice would not come out because I was afraid of being, and a lot of times, yes, I was the only female in the room. There were some, but usually, you know, when you're talking about being with engineering teams, it was just me. So I was sitting there thinking, wow, I'm like the only woman in here. If I say something, like everyone's going to be like, wow, she's so dumb. Uh, and then, you know, I, then I had a couple of female managers who literally changed my life and my perception of myself and my capabilities. And I would see them just like commanding rooms and their presence. But it wasn't this presence of intimidating people, but this presence of like, they were very warm, very kind but they knew how to like handle people and handle groups of, of, you know, when the conversation is going left, which it usually does in these situations. And, and I think for me, that was great because I had people that I could model myself on, but not to be exactly like them, to be a version of myself, but really understanding the power of how they were managing to handle all these different people. So it definitely took me some time to find my voice. And then now that I found it, like everybody is in trouble (laughs) Uh, because now I'm, I don't think so much about, Oh, what if people then don't like me after this? Or what if people think I'm, there's nothing like a stupid question. Number one, this is the thing that I learned. It's better to, especially in a product role, it's so much better to ask a question that you think is stupid than to pretend you know something because the knock-on effect of pretending you know something is so great and it can mess so many things up. So it's better to keep asking and keep asking. And um, I mean, I think nowadays I would say a particular, so I would say at junior mid-level, you do see a large number of women in terms of representation where you see far less women is in leadership positions. So you're talking about head of, director, uh, VP, you know, in the C-levels within, and I'm just talking about sort of product management and tech. So, you know, that's where I see like a big, big drop off because, and you think to yourself, well, why is there such a drop off, right? You have a lot of females in the senior kind of position. So what's actually happening between that senior role and the head of role or the VP role? Like why are people not making that jump and one thing that i know for sure is that a lot of times when we look at job adverts women get put off if they're not 120 percent a fit for the role so there might be 10 bullet points of what they're looking for and if you have six you're like well i'm out of the game you know and we discount ourselves before we even put ourselves in the process and even attempt And I think also the other thing is we have to just be braver, that you just have to be brave. If you feel like you're ready for that next step, then just apply for the job. What's the worst that could happen? The no is what you already have. So even if you put your hat in the ring and they say no, what changes? Nothing. Yeah. You you will definitely get over it. So that's what I would say on that one. That's definitely very passionate about this topic. As we should, all of us, because, yeah. you know, uh, for us, we need to, um, if we are in a position of, of power, we, we should be thinking this way and promote for, uh, for others to, to, to join in, you know? We, we, like, I, don't, I think it's going to be very, very difficult for women in power to, to forget the, this conversation, you know? Uh, so I'm yeah. so, 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 so inspired. <laughs> so now I'm like, yes, you know what? I'm going to go into a meeting. <laughs> I'm going to start roaring. <laughs> <laughs> Why not? 
Um, but you know, I think it's definitely a very important conversation uh, to have. And um, it's one that we, we like to highlight every now and then um, mm-hmm. with the podcast, you know. Yeah. Um, so by also interviewing uh, women uh, in power, it's highlighting the fact that there are women out there, you know, who are in, pos- in awesome positions in product management. Yeah. Which brings me to my next question. What do you look for um, in a product manager as uh, someone from like all of your experience and now being head of product management? Well, I actually have the privilege, to be honest, at Penta, which has just been fantastic to have product management, product design and product marketing uh, in my team, which is so great. So I think for the, the three different ones, I'll, I'll sort of explain sort of what I'd be looking for. Uh, for a product manager, actually, the, one of the most important things I look for is an active listener. So someone who listens to understand and not someone who listens to respond. And that's a really big thing because a lot of times in product management, you, you're sitting with someone to understand their problem and you actually really have to listen to them without just wanting to respond, but actually really listen because a lot of our human communication, there's a lot of nuance in what we say. A lot of what we say is not super clear. And if you're just listening to reply, you're going to pick certain parts of what I'm saying that you understand and you're going to double down on that. So you're not going to really understand the true essence of my problem because you're just going to pick the bits that you can identify with or you understand and you'll focus on that. But what you actually need to focus on is the, is the, entirety of what someone is saying Mm. and where you actually need to focus as a product manager is the parts that you don't really understand so what are they saying that's not super clear and if you start really focusing on that that's when you understand what is actually really really going on because people talk about the most obvious things you know and and will go on and on about it for ages the things that are less obvious they'll probably skim over And those are the parts as a product manager that you need to really double down on, on those hidden bits. Mm. And um, I think what's the other thing that I would say that I look for? Um, I would say humility. Humility is really important because, you know, as a product manager, you're in the heat of it all the time. (laughs) You are literally like the junction of everything, like everything meets with you. Uh, You have to handle lots of people. And I saw something that was quite interesting that said, as a product manager, you have all the responsibility, but very little authority. And you have to be quite humble to understand that I'm responsible for this, but I don't actually have the power to force anyone. So you have to really be very good at influencing people, but also be very humble and say, okay, this is what I think. However, what what do people think? It doesn't have to be democratic 24 seven, because sometimes you just have to make a decision. But I think a lot of times the power in product management is around influencing people to come around to your way of thinking, um, but also being able to take what other people say and then create the best solution that there is. So that's that. Um, I think with the product designers, I would say it's really around, you know, someone who's obviously creative, right? They're doing this design stuff, which is super cool. Um, I'm not a master of that particular craft, right? So I was never an individual contributor, but you know, I have the opportunity at the moment to have the product designers in my team and really understanding how they work, how they piece things together. How do they interpret a problem that the product manager is, is talking about? Uh, and I think someone who's really able to communicate with engineers. So for the product designers, it's front-end engineers. Yeah. So being able to work with them day-to-day, um, understand, do I need to adapt my design? Or actually, do I need to also influence them to 
take that extra step. It might be a little bit harder for them from an engineering perspective, but actually you see the bigger picture of what we're actually trying to do. So you can actually influence them to, to do that. Uh, and I think that's the thing that I really like about the designers in my team is they also take part in the research. So, you know, they're very humble in looking at how customers are actually interacting with prototypes and saying, oh, wow, okay, this is quite interesting. And then feeding that back into the improvement cycle, which I think is, which I think is really great. And then product marketing is such an interesting role. Like I love yeah. it. So, like I love it so much. I've got two product marketing managers in my team and I just love this role. I think the intersection between product and marketing is so, so powerful. And they're fantastic because they're this glue between the product managers and the marketing team. And they just create magic. You know, they're talking about like our go-to-market strategy, like how are we communicating things? And then they also feed their thoughts back into our process, you know, really bringing the voice of the customer back into the work that we're doing um, and understanding how effective was this campaign? Why was it not effective? Who are we targeting? Why are we targeting them? And it's such a cool role. It's just, yeah, if I could go back, I think I'd have done that for a little bit. Yeah, that's super interesting that you said that product marketing. How does it how does it work? Uh, how do you kind of assign each uh, like you know for each role what to do? Because usually a product manager, um, maybe I think in a smaller organization would would have to do the product marketing part. But what is uh, yeah? Can you tell us more about the definition of? of the like of this role what do they have to do and how do they work with product managers yeah i mean i think one thing that's really important to understand is that just delivering a product is not enough the go-to-market strategy is so important so it's about you've built something how do you make it successful that you connect this thing and you convince people that this is solving a problem and how are you messaging that how are you targeting people how do you decide who to target how do you know that this is a good fit for this particular segment uh, so what the product marketing managers do is their you know their communication as in customer communication is just on the next level and i think this is why this role has grown because you have product who will build the product and yes they can do some mess messaging and, and all that kind of stuff but then there's the marketing that actually puts something out there and then they're selling it so imagine putting this role in the middle that can bring these aspects together and then really make sure that okay what we're putting out there is actually really going to work and if it's not working we can measure okay was it the messaging and it's also a good temperature check to make sure that what we're putting out there is actually going to make sense for for the particular market so um, I think it's a role that's still developing in terms of its real identity and I think in different organizations it does they do different things but for us at Penta, what, what's happened with product marketing now is there's really someone there who can help us with the copy, who can help us make sure that, okay, the features that we're building um, make sense, um, you know, from a, from a go-to-market uh, perspective. And then they intersect very well with our marketing team as well. Like, what are the marketing campaigns and how do we join all of these different dots? And I think also what they bring is, is this continuity of understanding you've put something out there, then what happened, right? Because I think a lot of times if you don't have that role, you kind of put something out there and then you move on to the next thing. But what the product marketing team can do is actually feed back into the process to say, this was launched, these were the results, um, this is how many people maybe signed up for something, um, this is how many people have opened the communication and read it and then done something. So it actually brings that whole commercial voice of the customer aspect back into it. 
Um, and I think it, it makes you as a product team ask yourselves, what could we do better next time? What did we not think about when we came up with this idea? Um, and then we elaborated it. So, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I can definitely see also that it's taking a lot of uh, the hassle from product managers in a way that w- then it would be much easier for us to focus on the rest of the things that we need. Absolutely. To do. <laughs> absolutely. And I think that's the thing. I think product managers, there's so much stuff they have to do. It's such a broad role. You know, you're not just working on the current sprint. You're thinking about the sprint before because there's some bugs. You've got information coming in from the customer services team about things that need to get fixed. You know, the sales team are asking you questions. You have to prepare for the next sprint. Chiesa comes along and says, oh, we've got this idea for Q2 next year. Could you start thinking about it already? So you've got so many things that are going on already. Um, And I think the less distraction you have, you just see the quality of product managers work really, really go up. Uh, and which is why it's really important to have these kind of roles like agile coaches, you know, product marketing, because that supports all of the sort of ancillary stuff that's going on around the product manager. And then yeah. they can optimize their processes. Absolutely. Yeah, I completely agree. I think like um, the more we talk about product management, I think people are from the outside are wondering like, why would anyone like deliberately do this <laughs> to themselves and choose yes. to throw. <laughs> yeah, it's, I mean, it's challenging, right? It's, it's one of these roles that, you know, and I'm not saying that other roles don't challenge you. Of course they do. Uh, product management really stretches you because it's, it can be mentally and, you know, somewhat I'd say emotionally quite tiring because mm-hmm. you are dealing with, you know, a lot of sort of feedback from so many different groups of people who have such different perspectives and you're supposed to synthesize all of this into something that makes sense. And that can actually be very, very taxing. And I think people underestimate the, the weight of that. And you do feel the weight of if this is successful or not successful, it's on me. Uh, And product managers carry quite a lot of weight. So I think it's um, yeah, it's pretty tough. Yeah. You hear that employers give us a break. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Give them a break. (laughs) More coffee breaks, you know, good with that (laughs) or Mata because we're in Berlin, (laughs) but uh, yeah, like it's so interesting that you also um, mentioned uh, customer support and uh, in marketing. So let's go for this uh, recent um, LinkedIn post that I just saw where Mm -hmm. someone from your clients, um, wanted uh, something from customer support and they they achieved the the goal of uh, of the questions or his needs but then they sent him uh, like a package of things right uh, stickers a nice laptop sleeve and all that stuff which is very nice my question for you is like where is that beautiful line where you're like okay it's not cringe but at the same time you know it's it's like it shows that we value our clients but at the same time we're not overdoing it how to not overdo yeah uh that's an interesting question i think this particular customer was a little bit special because i think it's customer number seven so someone who's been very special you know we're we're beyond that now but you never forget where you started and some of our customer services team have been at penta for quite some time as well so i have actually got a very very close relationship with with the customers especially the 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 earlier ones i think it's quite interesting that you say how do you not overdo it you know i think when it comes to customer services is there overdoing it i think people just love that someone actually cares about their problem and will actually acknowledge it and do whatever it takes to fix it um I don't know if it can be cringe, you know, I don't know. You know, what was interesting to me is during the first lockdown, you know, I got a call on my phone and it was a 
Berlin number. And I was like, okay, interesting. Just at a really weird time. And it was my bank. And I bank with uh, quite an old school bank, Deutsche Bank. And um, they, oh, you know, Miss McGritty, how are you? And I was like, I'm fine. And I was trying to think, okay, what's happened with my account? Because I just used it and it was all fine. <laughs> and I was like, I wonder if something's happened. And, you know, he just said, we were just calling to check on you. Uh, and we just wanted to let you know, these are the branches that are open. You can still go to the ATM. Is there anything that you need? Do you need a new card? Do you need a new pin? Is your tan working? Is everything all right? And I was like, yes, you know, and I was so taken aback by that. I was like, they actually just called to check on me. That is something. So I think with customer support, just everyone just wants to feel heard and they want to know that what you're saying matters to them and that you actually care they have an issue. If you go over and beyond and do something that might seem a bit extra, that's okay. People will be super happy that you you went that extra mile. So well, 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 don't you bet that is actually I know. <laughs> I was very impressed. Yeah, but you know that's actually so true, especially with with serious entities, yeah. bank, you know, and like they call you, you're like, oh, oh Jesus, what happened? It's this immediate feeling of something is wrong, right? If your bank calls you, you're just like, okay, something's definitely gone wrong. Yeah. Um, and then if it's a courtesy call, you're almost just like, wow, okay. <laughs> you know, you're really taken aback by it. And I tell everyone this story. So this is good for them, right? Oh yeah, 100%. Now, this is never, uh, never overdoing marketing and, and customer support effect so yeah you heard it here first yeah. there's no such thing as overdoing it yeah <laughs> I love that. Uh, like a user loving um service basically that's yeah, awesome. yeah exactly exactly okay so and then um from your experience when it comes to the marketing product management and the business development part how is that thrown in in the mix and how do we align with each other what what do we usually do when we have business analysts like you said with your previous experience being a business analyst, how do, have you ever worked with a product manager or been in a situation where you had both roles and how do, how do they split the tasks basically? Yeah, I think business analysts are more in a context where you might need someone who's got very technical skills, right? So maybe can help with some API documentation. And I think that depends on the organization if you need something like that. So for example, in my first job, we needed people like me as business analysts because we had product managers who would have like sort of the idea and the concept, and then we would break it down and we would do sort of UML modeling, you know, really quite old school. We would do API documentation and then pass it on to the engineers because at the time, combining the role of what the product managers needed to do and then what we needed to deliver was too much of an overhead. Because, you know, it's, you know, doing the stories, doing all of that documentation, it just takes up so much time. I do think, to be honest with you, I think losing the business analyst role um, can sometimes be to the detriment of particular projects, especially if they've got a very technical nature to them. Because user stories themselves are usually not enough. You need so much more than that. You need more time to elaborate and you need much more detail for, for the engineers to, to actually work on something. And then when the quality assurance engineers come into the picture, what do they test against? And I think this is my little bit of an issue with Agile because it doesn't really have the sort of business analyst. How do you interpret that role in Agile context? Um, and I might be wrong. The Agile people are going to come for me. But <laughs> I think people, it doesn't end with a user story. A lot of times you need so much more than a user story. So you might need someone who actually understands the API documentation. You might need someone who can just have that next level deeper conversation with an engineer to remove any sort of doubt. And I think 
we've lost something in there with not having that sort of role. Um, and I can understand it, right? Because the real emphasis is on understanding how to interpret the business and then have it delivered into something that makes sense, that can be sold, et cetera. And, and I get that. Um, I just think that sometimes we lose the essence of the sort of technical aspect of things. And then what you have now is a slightly bigger gap between engineers and, and sometimes the product owners because absolutely you shouldn't have to have, you know, you shouldn't have to be an all singing, all dancing, able to do everything. And I think sometimes we lose out on not having business analysts. Absolutely. I think uh, also um, we previous like episode with uh, Kareem Biltaji, who used to be a business analyst for Koya. And then now, then he went into product management and then from product management went into growth. So I feel like, yeah, um, you can actually see the effects right now. that it doesn't really, uh, this role doesn't really exist in the setup that we've created. And yeah. that's why most of them would either go, either they would stay in uh, on the business side or they would go into business intelligence or something. They would change yeah. their role. But um, so from your experience, you've, you've done it all, right? <laughs> you've gone through a, like a long list of uh, being like a chameleon. You changed yourself in different ta- like uh, roles until you found yourself right now here. And uh, you said before that uh, something that's super important about being a product manager or a successful one is to, to know when to listen and to really listen, not just wait, uh, listen to reply, but really listen to, to understand what the person in front of you is saying. And I think that that takes a lot of emotional intelligence. And so from your, uh, from your point of view, what do you think is so important about having a high emotional intelligence? What is emotional intelligence? So, you know, the way I I see it is, you know, emotional intelligence is really around being able to read people and where they're at and how they might potentially react to something. I think if I think about it from my context, I think I'm actually quite blessed just as a person naturally because I'm quite intuitive. I can feel vibes really easily and even remotely, which is something that I'm like, oh, okay, so this is not just in real life. I can actually sense these things. So I'm actually very, um, very, very intuitive as, as a person. Maybe sometimes a little bit too much. <laughs> I'm a bit too in tune with people and their emotions. So, which can also make it a bit difficult, right? Because then I'm a bit afraid of, of pushing someone a little bit because I'm a bit like, mm, you know, maybe emotionally it's not such a great thing. But yeah, in terms of product, it's really important because you have, you're talking to a wide group of people who are all very, very different and you need to be able to tell, okay, in this meeting, who do I think might be on side? Who do I think might be a little bit difficult? And you also have to understand people's motivation. So why would someone be pushing back? Like what's actually motivating them? You have to really understand people as a product manager because those are the most successful ones. The ones who really, really understand people and the ones who can sort of turn a room that was like saying no into a, okay, maybe. And then a yes, you know, this is how you win people over and it starts small. So you start off as an individual contributor and you start off with your scrum team and you're the one who's responsible. You come with your backlog. These are the things that we need to work on. Uh, And you're the one who has to lift the room. And, you know, a lot of times we know these refinement sessions, you kind of go in and everyone is just sitting there like, Uh, another refinement session, another sprint planning, but you actually have to bring energy into that and people need to feed off your energy. Uh, And you need to understand what space is my team in right now? How was our last sprint? Was it good or was it not good? Is there any good news I can inject into this meeting? Is there anything fun that I can do to lift the mood? Is there anything, especially nowadays, 
it's really yeah. difficult because people are not in a good space. We're all remote. Um, a lot of times people haven't seen each other in a long time. So you haven't had that sort of connection where you see each other and you can have a random chat and go for a coffee or, or whatever. And I think that's one of the parts of the job that's quite understated is this ability to understand people and read them and, and almost be able to proactively deal with what might come from yeah. someone's reaction. So, you know, one thing that I always say to people is, you know, if you've got a really big meeting, you have to understand who could be my potential detractors in this meeting be. Uh, and before you go into that meeting, talk to them before you get there. Socialize whatever you, you might want to talk about with them. Get it out of them already what they would have outburst in the meeting that might have been sort of something that's, you know, some dissenting comment and yeah. get it out of them because what people want is a platform and they want to feel heard. So if you take the sting out of the meeting by actually talking to them before, you're actually helping yourself because then you can go into it and most times they won't say it again or most times they'll say, oh yeah, we've had this discussion and yeah, we've cleared it up and actually it's totally fine. And what you might find is actually they will help you with the room. They will help you to get what you want across and get people on side. So that's all part of emotional intelligence. You know, you have to really think about what am I getting myself into? How are these different people going to react? What are they driven by? What's the sales team driven by? What's business devs driven by? What's customer services driven by? And make sure that you can sort of cover people's needs in, as much as you can. And then when you can't, to also be open about it and talk about why uh, and explain it. And, and it's normally fine. Wow, I've never, I've never really heard this tip before. And I'm so grateful that I got to be on the forefront to listen to it. <laughs> You're calming down the, the situation before it even happens. Yeah. So this helps a lot with even uh, like problem solving and, and conflict uh, between within the team. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I'm so happy to hear this because I, I'm definitely going to start doing that. <laughs> yeah, stakeholder management is, is one of the hardest parts of the role because, as I said, you have different groups of people who have different motivations. Yeah. And what, you, what, what you're trying to do is actually get everybody to understand and, 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 say this is, and remind everyone this is our common mission. Um, and this is how we're all going to get there together. Yes, Fran, I know that you wanted X, Y, Z. However, commercially, this is where we stand. Let's put that somewhere on the backlog. And then when there's an opportunity or maybe when we have some additional investment, we can come back to that. That's yeah. all people want. People know you cannot solve every single problem they have. They know that. But what they want to know is, okay, so what are you going to do about it Yeah. next? And, and it's about managing people's expectations. Um, and then when you truly can't do something, just explain it to them. Um, and normally people are totally fine. That's yeah. amazing. Wow. You know, um, Chietza, I've, I've, I feel like, um, yeah, thanks to LinkedIn, we connected. But at the same time, I'm so, so grateful um, for the support that you've been giving us because it's also quite rare to have someone just like, randomly like come on to the to a platform and give you this type of love and support which you did for us and I'm super grateful to be on the other side <laughs> receiving it because it's very rare so I would like to thank you for that and um, our conversation I just don't want it to end because I'm learning already so much <laughs> we can catch up offline if you need more t more cheat codes and more tips <laughs> you yeah. know where to find me <laughs> I think that this is the thing. This is what, this is what I love about this platform that you've created because, you know, I think 
a lot of people in leadership positions, one thing that people need to understand, we also have battle wounds. You know, we also have had bad, you know, I've made so many mistakes in my career. I can't even tell you so many, <laughs> but I've learned from them, you know, and yes, sometimes I was knocked down and I cried or sometimes I was knocked down and I was really down on myself. But the important thing is what happened next and what did I do with that? And I think the ability to bounce back is such a big thing. And I think one of the other things that people do is you beat yourself up too much about your mistakes. So I think this is why I love platforms like this. You know, people can give you some advice, you know, little tips of, hey, if you try this, maybe it'll work. Or maybe if you try that, this could work. So this is why, uh, yeah, I'm such a big fan of, of, of people doing podcasts and, and sort of different things so we can share the cheat codes. Yes, exactly. Share the cheat codes. <laughs> and I'm so excited to actually meet you in person and finally, you know, get to have a longer talk with you. That way I can, you know, what is it? Uh, continue the legacy, shall we? Yes, exactly. It's about passing on the baton, isn't it? So, you know, I always say that for me, it's, it's about the thing that I always want to make sure is that I leave a few people behind who will take my position. Um, and be ready. So a lot of the things that I think about is where is this person today and what do they need to do so they can take my job? Because it's, that's the whole thing about leadership. You're not supposed to be there forever, but you're supposed to prepare the next person for it. Um, Absolutely inspiring. Shetza, um, so at the end of the, our episodes, we usually put our guests on the spot and we tell them, <laughs> look, <laughs> this is your part uh, where okay. we to you the last minutes of the episode is basically anything that you would like to say the stage is yours uh, I think the overarching thing that I would probably want to share with everyone is be brave be courageous and be yourself there's no better version of you than you and you're a gift and you're a blessing and you're here for a reason uh, you have something to give to the world so don't try to be someone else just be yourself and And also, I think when it comes to jobs, when you're happy in a job, that's great. But don't sell your soul for a job. Um, make sure you, you spend so much time at work. So make sure it's time well spent and that it's actually good for you and you're happy. Uh, yeah. Because I think being happy is something that's very, very, very important. And we, we underestimate that, right? So a lot of times you're in a job and you hate it. So, you know, always be excited about waking up to start work. I'm not saying you're going to be a high octane all the time. But I can say that, you know, at Penta, I, I wake up and I'm just like, what's waiting for me today? <laughs> you know, some days are great. Some days are not so great. But it's, it's that whole, I'm motivated. I'm very motivated um, by what we're doing. So I think it's, yeah, I would say that. Um, just be yourself. You'll always do your best when you're yourself. Thank you so much for saying that. that I, that's actually, I know for a fact that there are tons of uh, people who are listening who would definitely relate to what you said and needed this, uh, this moment to hear it from someone. And especially for me as well, like right now, uh, the times that we're, that we're at right now, it's super difficult. Uh, the uncertainty is very high. Yep. Um, so we definitely do need someone to tell us this and take a break and just really like, you know, breathe. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Breathe. And yeah. And you know, someone, I think there's a quote that says that it's all going to be fine in the end. And if it's not fine, it's not the end. <laughs> So, That's although 2020 is really trying us on this front <laughs> but uh, yeah I think 
overall, it's, it's going to be okay. It might take a bit of time, but I think this is a global lesson in patience, to be honest. Absolutely, 100%. It's been such a privilege to listen to you. Thank you so much for having me. This is so, yeah, made my, made my Tuesday. I've been looking forward to this for ages. So thank you so oh much. Oh my God, same, yeah. yeah thank you so much. <laughs> and I hope we can definitely connect more and I will be listening to more. Amazing. Wow, now that is what I call inspirational. Hope you all enjoyed today's episode. So to sum it up for you, we talked about getting into fintech, types of product roles, emotional intelligence, and many, many, many more. So thank you, Code and Logitech, as usual. And see you guys next episode. Bye. Thank you.